Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side and the truth. Which Kelly are you? Edward. People call me Ned. I photograph what my conscience asks me to. Ned, they want to have him in the movie! Mad Max 2. It's my kind of movie. Shut up! Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Sarge. Oh, he's the same one, I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip-hop anymore. G'day everybody and welcome to The Curve. This is the podcast that's all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. My name's Andrew Pierce, and this podcast is recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and I pay respects to their elders both past, present and emerging. On this particular episode, well, I was really, really uh, fortunate and stoked to be able to talk to one of my favourite up-and-coming Australian directors who has crafted some really exceptional work uh, throughout her career and that is Kitty Green. She has directed two powerful documentaries, one called Ukraine is Not a Brothel, the other, which is available on Netflix right now, and I urge you to go and watch it, is called Casting Jean Benet. It is a really powerful film which looks at the story of Jean Benet Ramsey and the myth and the legend and the impact that her loss and her death had on the community at large and most importantly how it had an impact on how people in that community perceived that family and that death it's really fascinating i found it great at the time and i rewatched it in the lead up to this interview and it just wows me even more on another viewing and i knew that kitty's new film the assistant would be equally great. Uh, This stars Julia Garner in the lead role as an assistant to a Harvey Weinstein's type person who we never see in the film, but we certainly get a really looming spectre of who they are as a person in their business. It's a taut, tense, nail-biting, really gut-churning thriller that actually doesn't really lean into the um, the theatrics that you might expect. Everything is behind doors. Everything is alluded to. Nothing is out in the open. And that is why this film is so effective. It is because so much is happening and so much is unsaid that you can't help but feel tense and anxious and nervous and knowing that so much of what occurred and so much as what has occurred with the Me Too movement uh, was brushed under the rug, basically. And for The Assistant, which is one of the first films to address the Me Too movement, I think that this is certainly set a higher benchmark for what will certainly come forward in the film industry where uh, there is a lot of introspection and a lot of change taking place, a much-needed change. This is a powerful, powerful film. I highly recommend viewing it it is just exceptional and yeah I was really lucky to be able to talk to Kitty and talk to her about her filmmaking process and I'm honestly really grateful that I was able to have the time to talk to her about this film because I think that it is hands down one of the finest films for 2020 and as the year rolls on we're going to look back and see that The Assistant is a magnificent film and 
although I'd love to have been able to see it in the cinema, watching it at home was still as effective. So yeah, let's have a listen to the trailer and then we'll jump on into the interview with Kitty Green. Welcome. Have a seat. Whatever's going on, you can tell me that's what I'm here for. You're relatively new to the company. I mean, I've been working here for nearly two months. And you're under a lot of stress. Entry-level jobs in this industry are tough, right? Long hours? First one in, last one out. Night. You're smart. You have to be smart. It's a tough job, but I can see that you've got what it takes. I want those new pages before I get on the plane. He promised the first thing. Where are we at? 200K and two points. Maybe you can put in a good word for you. No, he'll hire externally. Listen, his schedule has shifted. Does 7 p.m. work? Still at the hotel, or...? Yes. What? This is turkey. I said chicken. <laughs> There's a girl waiting. Oh, her. She's been here before. A few times. What is it? The wife. Say he's in an important meeting. No, say he's in the screening. Where is he? What did you say to him? What did you say? They told me you were smart. I overreacted. It was not my place to question your decision. I will not let you down again. You know you can always come to us, right? Come to us first, okay? The last two checks don't have a name or anything. Just the dollar amount. Uh, ignore it. Okay, and will he know what it's for? Yep, he'll know. I wouldn't sit there. Never sit on the couch. <laughs> here and here, initial here, sign there. Do I need a lawyer or something? Do you have a lawyer? So what happened? Where did you go? Um, I was worried for this girl. <laughs> I mean, they were just like laughing about it. Can you deal with this? Hi, why me? Who was that? A vast waste of my time. We're excited for you. It's a great opportunity. What can we do? Do about what? Good morning, Kitty. How are you doing? It's Andrew Pierce here from The Curb. Hi, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Hey, thank you so much for uh, um, spending the time to have a talk about your excellent film. Uh, it's just a really, really brilliant film. Um, congratulations on it. It is just, yeah, I watched it the other day and was left a little bit um, jaw-dropped by it because it's just a really excellent film. So congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. That's lovely. Yeah. I appreciate um, it. Yeah, yeah. What, what's it like to have um, your film released now? I mean, it must be a bit different because uh, obviously I would be hoping to see this in a cinema but um, unfortunately it's at home so what's that like for you as a filmmaker? Well I was fortunate enough to get um, I did a few festivals I did Telluride, Sundance and Berlin so and then I had a release in the US a small kind of theatrical release right before kind of all this virus hit so we were lucky enough to get a bit of a cinema release so I, I don't feel like I you know, was completely cheated. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's not too bad. Um, but yeah, it's a pity that my family and friends can't, you know, walk down to the local cinema and see it. So it's, it's a bit sad. But I think, I mean, I'm glad we're getting it out there in any form, and hopefully, hopefully, people can watch it on their on their TVs or computers and not get too distracted by their phones. So let's, let's hope, hope for the best there. 
it's it is a very gripping film, and it's very um, from my perspective at least, I I think that you know it it really just grabs you right from the first frame and and really immerses oh, really? you in there. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and that. yeah, I just I, I'm in awe of it in so many different ways. So I'm trying to find out like kind of the best way of approaching how we discuss this film because um, I think maybe we'll start off with Julia because she is just exceptional here uh, and I haven't yeah. seen her in Ozark. Um, I, I came to know her from the Americans and she's great in that um, but she's just brilliant here. I'm curious about the casting process and uh, how you went about finding her and, and what sort of work that you did with her as well to get this character to the point where she is. I mean, the script had barely any dialogue, like it was very spare, so I knew I needed someone who had an interesting uh, look about them, I guess, Hi. and I had seen her in The Americans and thought she was um, like wonderful and thought she was really interesting, and so that, um, striking, I guess, uh, and so yeah, when my task agent re- recommended her, she, I just thought that would be a great you know, choice, and we met and she understood the script and the character and we got along, and and yeah, it was really, um, it was, she was even wearing a pink turtleneck, I think, at the meeting, which I think influenced the character's costume. But it just seemed to work, that, that relationship. It was really wonderful. And then we spent, we had a month of rehearsal, I think, because we had an 18-day shoot and it was so short that we needed to make sure that on the set we could communicate quite clearly, quickly. We, we, went, we didn't really have time to have discussions on the set, so we made sure we set aside kind of a, quite a lot of time to have those conversations earlier. We met with a lot of assistants and kind of went through the script line by line and figured out where the character was at kind of emotionally at any moment. Um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It's a really uh, beautiful collaboration. I haven't worked that closely with an actor before, and so it was a real treat for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious for you as well, because going from something like casting Jean Benet, which I absolutely loved, and, uh, you know, I was the around the same age as Jean Benet when um, all of that happened, so it's kind of been this specter over my life in a lot of ways that I've seen you know I'd constantly think about what life she could have had if she was still around and your film really kind of touched on that in a really fascinating way um so I'm curious because it's there's this almost blend of uh documentary and fiction with the assistant and I'm curious where you how you took what you learned from casting Jean Benet and applied it to the assistant um well, I went to fiction film school, so I studied narrative filmmaking, and so it was something I always wanted to do. Um, but I ended up working in documentary because I actually was working behind-the-scenes documentaries for films so as a way to get on film sets, essentially. Um, so I kind of, and then I started picked it up, kind of got interested in the form and made a few docs, and then um, slowly I'm kind of heading back into the narrative space, but sort of, you know, film by film. So... Um, with Jean Benet, we had maybe a half of it was documentary shoot and half of it was a fiction shoot. I think we had a two-week fiction shoot with a big crew. And um, and I found that was a really lovely process. The Colorado crew were really wonderful. So I think it, was, it wasn't it was a big step, a big leap to make a full feature film. You know, it felt kind of like the natural kind of progression. Um, of, yeah. 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 Sorry, was that the question? I don't remember the question. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 that's yeah. okay. <laughs> what is it like for you as well coming from Australia and, and telling American stories? Um, because and, and also Ukraine is not a brothel as well. Like that's these are international stories and, and you're bringing a um 
for want of a better word, a, a foreign perspective to it. So what's that like for you to come and tell these stories and explore them? Yeah, it's funny. I haven't thought about it that way. I just find subjects that I find interesting. In Ukraine, it was a feminist movement, a topless feminist movement, who were kind of very provocative, and I thought they were cool. So it started there, and then I guess Jean Bonnet was sort of similar. It was... With feminine, it was about the media and the way the media went, covered these women, and um, I guess it was Jean It was a similar theme to that, so it didn't occur to me. Like it wasn't about the fact that I, my kind of the fact that I was Australian didn't play into it at all. But the press seemed to care. Like critics seemed to be quite critical of the fact that I was foreign. You know, like who am I to tell this story? Whereas with the assistant, I mean, I'm, I'm a young woman. Or, so I'm, I kind of fit in within, it doesn't seem foreign for me to tell that story at all. Either, so I'm not getting any pushback for that. But yeah, I don't know. It's always just about the subject and the issues and the themes and, and what excites me, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a universality to all of these stories. You know, they're, they're all things that are happening around the world. And yes, they might take place in America or Ukraine, but they're still... Um, you know, they, they apply everywhere. The Me Too movement goes all around the world. So it's not, yeah, yeah from my perspective, it, it shouldn't matter where you come from that, um, you know, as an Australian coming and telling these stories, it's, it shouldn't matter at all. Um, mm -hmm. So for you, how did you come up with the, the idea for the assistant? Because it feels, uh, certainly from my perspective, it's, it's one of the first kind of Me Too films that's really truly addressing uh, this whole narrative and the, 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 the uh, area that we're currently finding ourselves in. So how did you come up with this plot? And um, I'll ask you about um, investigation and stuff like that after this. But yeah, how did you come up with it? Right, yeah, I don't know. It's it's never that easy. I find that I always get find this question <laughs> difficult because it is like a lot of, um, I don't know, it's both through like my own experiences in the industry over the years where I felt like there was a, it was a lot more gendered than than that my male colleagues were aware of. So I'd kind of say, I'd complain about certain things, and they would sort of say, "Oh, ignore it. It's nothing." And I'm like, "No, it is kind of affecting my self confidence." Um, so there was it was a lot of moments like that that kind of led to it. And then and then when the I was kind of looking at doing something about misconduct and um, gendered environments, I, I started doing a research into, I, I started on doing a little bit of a college, US college tour, because at the time that the, on campus was where those conversations were being had. It was, the sexual assault crisis was kind of, kind of the peak of that. So everyone was talking about these themes and issues. So I kind of started chatting to students and then the Weinstein story broke and I kind of switched focus because I had a lot of friends that had, I had a few friends that had worked for Harvey Weinstein, but also for similar kind of predatory men. So I started chatting to them about their work environments and what was, and kind of interested in what was preventing women from getting into positions of power in those environments and what was keeping them um, down and sort of sidelined. And um, that became kind of the, 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 the line of inquiry. And I guess that that's where, it, yeah, then the film was kind of born out of those discussions. <laughs> yeah, it's how, how did you go about researching it as well? Because I imagine certainly probably as you're, you're starting off, there might have been some pushback or, or, you know, reluctance for people to either talk about it or in, more from the male perspective at least. I imagine that if you, you tried to talk to them, they'd be like, oh, you know, oh, it's a very tricky subject. Yeah, it's a very tricky subject to address. But um, I spoke to a lot of people, a lot of young women specifically, 
men too, but mostly women. Um, across, I was in New York for a while, and then LA, and then London, and then back to back came back to Melbourne, and was telling to my friends, not just in the film industry, but I kind of broadened out to like finance and tech, and like other 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 spheres, and was hearing the same stories again and again, and so it became quite easy to kind of map out what somebody's day would be like in, in, in an entry-level position. And I tried to make sure it wasn't anything that was too specific to the film industry. I wanted it to be kind of transferable to any workplace, essentially. Um, so it is just administrative tasks that she's going in, that she's doing or going about. Um, but yeah, it has this other layer of misconduct because her boss is a predator and because we all know what happens. I mean, we've read enough about what happens in the film, in the film industry in that sense when you see a young woman arrive late at night at an office and the doors close. Like we, the audience kind of has more information about what's going on than she does, the lead character does anyway. Um, so kind of that gap between what she knows, what we know, all of that was interesting to me. Um, but yeah, sorry, I'm just rambling. I don't know what, what where I began. You can ramble all you want. That is okay. perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, it's good. I'm, I'm curious as well because one of the things that really stood out for me about this film and your writing and is that there's so much writing on the screen that you know there's there's not that much dialogue, but there's so much writing that that builds in the character and uh, the scene and what is going on. Um, I'm curious for you how you made. The for lay people, I guess the unrelatable, relatable. Like there's a lot of talks about private jets and you know spending a lot of money and stuff like that, and and you know organising certain things, and it feels like that's such a different world. But because of the the natural nature of a of an office environment, it feels um, easy to understand and relate to. Uh, so how did you kind of get that balance and, and strike that balance between the, the ultra-rich and, you know, the routine day-to-day -day life of the office environment? I mean, I, when I was speaking to women who worked for, the, especially powerful predatory people, I mean, a lot of them had these kind of really crazy stories about literally being on jets and being flown around and with suitcases full of money and helicopters and diamonds and all these things, which um, I tried, I didn't want to include because I felt like that, that is when it becomes kind of the extraordinary story as opposed to the ordinary, as opposed to something that we all kind of go through day by day. So I just tried to stick to those to tasks that I felt like would be relatable to most young women, men who'd worked in the, in, in any kind of work environment really. And, uh, and yeah, and kind of center the story around those. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty simple. In that sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's fair. Um, Photocopying, coffee, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the, the routine basic stuff and it makes it, it just made it feel very, relatable in the sense that this is it could be any office it doesn't it, it could be any business it doesn't have to be film or anything you know this this kind of stuff is occurring in all different kinds of uh, workplaces but the focus is specifically on films and stuff um i'm curious as well the set design really stood out for me and it's just a really wonderful color choices and the way of um the film is kind of drenched in this grey look. Uh, everything from you know the the set to the binders on the wall and stuff like that. Um, where was the what was the discussion plan around that, and and how did you decide on on what the kind of uh, colour palette for the film would be? 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't, I, it, we really wanted it to feel authentically ordinary, you know, like there's nothing about, we didn't want it to feel, so specifically when we, the set was of an existing office, we found an office space in Manhattan that was empty and then we basically built a few walls in and um, a few bits and pieces. I think we needed a kitchenette and we, so things like that that we put together. Um, but mostly it was existing really and it was about a kind of a trick of lighting and making sure it felt um, as claustrophobic and oppressive as we wanted it to feel without tipping into kind of horror or making it feel kind of overtly um uh, i don't know like sensational or something like that so yeah it was a tricky balance um but yeah it wasn't it wasn't i feel like we had a great production team who did a lot of work but again it was it, it is very reminiscent of the office we shot in as well you know? <laughs> Yeah, because it, it just immerses you in her world so much, um, and I it just impressed me so much because it's we're we're with her so throughout the whole entire film and and see everything from her perspective, and yet you know the the guys that she's working with who just kind of I don't know they they loom over her in some ways and they just uh, it feels they feel like they're trying to be nice people but just the way that they talk and they present themselves is just very it feels very um in her space in a lot of ways um i'm curious about how you went about discussing with them how to uh present their characters unfortunately the, the actors names aren't coming to mind i'm sorry about that but yeah I found Noah and John, really they're wonderful i mean they're so it's so evil in the film but they're such wonderful mm. uh people um so it wasn't a big, big stretch i mean i think noah had had a friend who he thought he was basically or something there was some bizarre story like that like he, he had met someone um that he was sort of referencing i guess in, in, in subtly in his performance but i mean it was i mean we just played around with things it was it was very easy for them to become very arch and mean like kind of evil very quickly and I felt like that was kind of less interesting so it wasn't it, often the lines that are the most cutting are the ones that are very simple and it's a sandwich there's something like when she gets the chicken sandwich and he's like I want a chicken I don't want it. she gets a turkey sandwich he's like I want a chicken it's kind of the most violent line in the movie just in the way he yeah. does it so there's something about yeah just their performances were just so spot on and wonderful and yeah, kind of creepy. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. It was just like a lot of discussions on set about what was too much and where, and what we were trying to achieve. But I think everyone understood the mission of the film and what we were. And we kind of met up a lot beforehand to discuss like what we were trying to convey, and and they were all on board from the very beginning. So yeah, it was mm. lovely. Yeah, because they they feel like people who you know I work with and <laughs> I'm not mm. not calling out anybody specifically but they feel like people who are in workplaces all around the place and it just feels so um I think what I what again another thing which which I was left by with this film was that it kind of peeled back and, and made you recognize um the different kind of characters that do exist in workplaces and we're just kind of we're built to accept them as normal and um it's not normal you know the way mm. that people talk to people is just—it's not normal, and it's not—it's yeah. not right to talk to people in certain ways like that. And I, I'm curious for you what kind of the the feedback has been from colleagues and and audiences around that kind of perspective as you've travelled around the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a lot of. It's interesting. A lot of people come up afterwards and say, like, exactly what you've been saying is that perhaps they what they were. But men specifically have said to me. 
that they've seen thinking about their behaviour. Maybe there were some things that they've done that they thought, when they were thought they were trying to help, perhaps they had crossed the line a little bit. Perhaps that wasn't help. Perhaps that was a bit patronising or condescending. And so that that was interesting to me that they were having that that kind of reaction. Uh, I had a few bosses kind of walk away, come out of it, and tell me that they will treat their employees better the next day, and they're going to, you know buy them lunch tomorrow, <laughs> like those sorts of things, and wrestling with how much they rely on them and what, what yeah. is crossing the line in terms of the personal and, and um, you know, versus the business side of things. So, yeah, it's been interesting to have those conversations. I'm glad the film is sparking those conversations, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. What's it like to be um, kind of one of the first filmmakers who is starting these conversations, on, on screen at least. What, what, what does that mean for you as a filmmaker? Um, I don't, don't know what it means for me as a filmmaker. It's sort of, it was something I was interested, it was a topic I was interested in exploring. I felt like the media was too focused on the men, on, on the Weinsteins of it all, and I felt like there was a bigger thing we needed to discuss, which is sort of workplace safety and equality, and that all needs to fix. If in moving, We need to fix that moving forward. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm happy to have those conversations with anyone. So, yeah. Yeah, well, job, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things which I thought was really impressive as well is that you never pointedly show the villain of the story. You know, it's mm. always a door or an empty office or he's not there or it's a muffled voice on the other end of the line. Um, was there ever any push to show him on screen or, uh, you know, physically show his presentation over her or anything like that um no <laughs> push from where <laughs> like uh well i don't know like in <laughs> if, if you know filmmaker like uh producers or anything like that or anybody uh, you know financing the film with, did, no i mean i was very clear about that I, I wanted to leave him out of it that i felt like we'd made enough films about bad men and it was time that we centered women in this narrative and talked about what's keeping women from positions of power and I think my team got on board for that reason, the producers and the, the distributors and the you know, financiers. Um, and yeah, and we're happy to support the project in its very kind of um, pure state, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I didn't have any kind of pushback about that at all, which was, which was great. I mean, well, and we were able to make it quite cheaply. It wasn't like we were, because it is one, basically, basically Julia is in every scene and then she often has no one else in the scene with her. She's like working with a photocopier or a copy machine. So it wasn't like we had to, you know, we were funneling, like it wasn't like we were, we needed a huge budget and we needed to, you know, make X profit or whatever. So it was, um, yeah, it was very, people were on board with what we were trying to do very early on. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious as well for you from uh, like, you're based back in Australia now at the moment with the whole um, COVID-19 stuff going on. Um, but I'm curious what your perspective is on the gender matters push from uh, Screen Australia as well, how that has kind of had an impact on the Australian film industry. Have you um, had much interaction with that or, or seen uh, any positive changes from that initiative? I must say I haven't really been across it, <laughs> so I can't comment with no, the authority okay. on it but I mean I do I am they've been very supportive of me and I think I'm, I'm watching them they're supporting my friends when I'm seeing people get funding I mean we always want 
more support <laughs> and help. But I think, I don't know, it's, it's hopefully all of these conversations and all of this will change things for the better because I do think it's about time we kind of had more women making movies, especially in Australia. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, we've got a lot of great um, women filmmakers in Australia who I desperately want to see more films from because, oh, exactly. you know, yeah, and yourself in particular, I was thrilled to see this come along after seeing Casting John Bonet because I was like, oh, this sounds, you know, it sounds really, really fascinating. And especially because you're, what I appreciate from your films a lot is that you're exposing and exploring women's stories from that usually wouldn't get explored on screen in a unique, interesting perspective, like you've done with The Assistant and how you present to Jean Benet's story in casting Jean Benet. It's like, I don't think many other people would think about telling these stories like that. And so, you know, that's a really, it's really important for me, at least as a viewer, to see these stories told in unique and fascinating ways. Um, oh, I'm curious for you. I'm curious for you as a filmmaker what your, like, as you go on as your, with your career, what kind of catalogue of, of work do you want to have people uh, be able to look at and experience and, and gain from you as a uh, director? Gosh, I don't know about a catalogue, but I do, I just, I don't know, it's generally project by project, I'll find something I'm interested in, something I want to say, and then I'll figure out the best way to tell that with a story, whether it's through documentary or fiction work or whatever that is, so, yeah, I don't know, I sort of just, I'm more of a project by project person than rather than facing on, like, you know, figuring out the whole the whole thing, so, I don't know, I don't, I'm sort of figuring out what's next, it's taking some time, I think. But that will get there. But it is similar. I mean, I do like centering women in the narrative. I do like kind of thinking about different ways to explore kind of femininity on screen. And um, yeah, so all of that's still yeah part of what I'm up to. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious as well for casting Jean Benet. Like that was uh, was that made through Netflix or did Netflix um, purchase it and then distribute it that way? Um, uh, no, we made that independently, and then they bought it. I think out of Sundance. Oh, cool. Well, what was that relationship like as well? Because that's where, like for me at least, uh, talking to people who watch documentaries and stuff like that, they they tend to find them on Netflix, and there's a lot of people watching them on Netflix. And certainly, when that came out, uh, the discussion that I was having with people was, "Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Have you seen this?" And there was a real um, it was appearing on their screens because that's what they watch. They watch a lot of documentaries on there. So uh, I'm curious what that relationship was like and being able to have your film basically delivered around the world in the instant. It's pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Scary. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you get a review. I mean, I remember it going up but on, on Netflix and it was an original, so it's on everywhere at once. And you get a review on Twitter every six seconds. Somebody's written something about it, you know, which is absolutely bizarre because there's just so much chatter and so many people are watching it. So it was really, really crazy. Um, but they were very supportive of our very provocative film and were very um, and were kind of happy for us to keep keep it weird. And yeah, I, we had a, I had a wonderful experience with them. I, I have I, it was. It was really fabulous. No complaints. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, no. I I always just find it interesting to hear about that kind of process because um, it is such a major part of our lives now. You know, Netflix has become almost like the blockbuster video in a way. Mm. With 
sit down and pick it up and, and that's where they can uh, retrieve these great films. Like, uh, it's, it's just wonderful to be able to know that people have, can watch something like Casting Jean Bonnet on there and feel safe in doing so. There's a bit of a comfort in the Netflix brand, I guess, uh, yeah. and being able to approach. I, I mean, I wouldn't call it weird. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse, me, Andrew. Yeah. Excuse me, Andrew. This is your two-minute wrap-up. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No worries. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't call it weird at all, but I, I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed it. And re-watching it for this interview as well, it's like, it's just, it, um, it impressed me a lot more. Like, I've seen it a couple of times, and it, it just, I don't know, there's something about that film which I think is really smart and, and genius in oh, the way that you explore that story. So, yeah. I haven't seen it in years. I should watch it. I kind of even forgot. Like, I really should watch it again. I haven't seen it for a while either. And I'm trying to do all these interviews going, what was it, what was it about again? Um, but, yeah, it's sort of like once you move on to the next one, you kind of, you know, in order to move forward, you kind of almost have to put it in the box and, you know, and forget about it. <laughs> but, yeah. Aww. Anyway. I will yeah. watch them again in one day, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, have a retrospective down the line. For sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. So what have you been watching as well during isolation? Is there anything that's kind of um, picked up your, your interest at this particular point in time? Oh, I haven't been watching much, to be honest. I've been asked this a lot and I have no answer and I'm sorry. I mean, I've kind of... I'm no, no. I'm obsession because I didn't see it before casting Matthew McFadden and... And so then finally being able to watch Succession, I mean, I got so excited by it. That was fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've just been watching um, bits and pieces and kind of playing around with some ideas and things. So it's nothing, yeah, I don't have any tips or hints. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that Succession is really good. And um, certainly with Matthew's casting, he's, uh, you know, he's a great, and he's great in the, the scene in The Assistant as well. Like I remember mm. seeing in... Uh, in my father's den, a New Zealand film, way back in the early 2000s, and he's just been an actor who I've kept on my eye, my radar all along. So he's excellent in in your film as well. So yeah, congratulations yeah. on giving him a great uh, piece of work to work with there. Yeah, we got him on the weekend. He, I think he was shooting Succession. Um, so ah. we, were, we were in the middle of the shoot. We managed to get it and pull him away for a day. So that was really wonderful. But um, yeah, he's such a such a lovely guy and just so incredible. It really made that scene so much more powerful than it would have been, I think, with anyone else. So I was very yeah, thrilled to have him involved. Yeah, and his final line in that scene as well was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, a bit of a gut punch. Yeah. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Kitty. I really oh, appreciate it and have done... Really enjoy talking with you about uh, your films and your work. Uh, you've you've been somebody who I've admired for a long time, so being able to have some time to talk to you about your work has been great. So thank you very yeah, much. Great, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Sounds good. No worries. All right, cool. Thanks. Exciting. That right there is Kitty Green talking about her film, The Assistant, which is available on demand in Australia right now, and I highly recommend seeking it out and watching it. Not only is Julia Garner perfect in it, uh, she delivers a really powerful performance, uh, and as I mentioned, I haven't seen her in Ozarks, but I have seen her in The Americans, and she's great in that. Uh, but the direction and the writing is just meticulous. It is easily one of the finest films this year, and you would be doing yourself a great favour in sitting down and watching a great film. It is not an easy film to watch, that's for sure, and I know that at this point in time, uh, it may be hard to approach 
difficult films to watch. It may be hard to uh, watch these kinds of movies, but if you have the fortitude and the ability to, I recommend it because this is great filmmaking and also it reaffirms the legacy that many of the people who spoke out about the Me Too movement and, and made that movement a reality, uh, it makes their, it, it supports everything that they've gone through and it, it, it helps reinforce how difficult it was to actually come forward about what has been happening in the industry, not just this industry, but industries around the world. The Me Too movement is not just exclusively associated with the film industry, it is associated with so much more than that. So yes, please watch The Assistant. It is a great film. Really, really great. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this interview and to take the time to check out this podcast. It means a lot. If you don't know, there's more podcasts on the website, thecurb.com.au, as well as articles and reviews. And there's also another show on there as well called Awards Don't Matter, which I do with uh, my co-host Dave Giannini, and we talk about the Best Picture winners. It is a journey through time and asking whether the Best Picture winners actually do matter. We've done two feature-length episodes at the moment, the first one on Wings and Sunrise, and the second one on the Broadway Melody. On June 15th, there will be the third Best Picture winner being discussed, All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, It's another great film that I highly recommend seeking out and watching. So you can listen to that on the website there. You can also head over to social media, facebook.com forward slash thecurbau and thecurbau on Twitter as well. Also have an Instagram account, but that's really just mostly me posting pictures of my pets. if you want to go the extra step and help out this particular website staying independent, proudly independent, then head over to patreon.com forward slash the curve As little as a dollar a month helps keep this website going. And that particular show that I was telling you about before, Awards Don't Matter, I put up early episodes on there as well for certain tiers. And if you join at the $1 level, you also get written reviews of all of the best picture winners as I go through it too. So that's a bit of an added bonus for you there as well. Um, but nonetheless, the main thing is, I hope that you're keeping safe and you're looking out for each other and uh, staying as hopeful and positive as you can. I know that the world is currently a little bit dark right now and leaning out and touching and being in touch with uh, people who mean something to you or matter is really important. So don't be afraid to ask for help if you want. I'm Andrew Pierce. This has been The Curb. I'll see you on the next episode. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.